Miss Alderkin's Picture by Harriet Beecher Stowe. Short Story Collection Number 99. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by Alan Lord. Miss Elderkin's Picture. You see, boys, said Sam Larson, as we were gathering young Wintergreen on a sunny hillside in June. You see, folks don't allers know what their masses is when they sees em. Folks is kind of blinded, and when a providence comes along, they don't seem to know how to take it, and they growl and grumble about what turns out the best things that ever happened to em in their lives. It's like Miss Elderkin's picture. What about Miss Elderkin's picture? said both of us, in one breath. Didn't I never tell you now? said Sam. Why, I want to know. No, we were sure he never had told us. And Sam, as usual, began clearing the ground by a thorough introduction with statistical expositions. Well, you see, Miss Elderkin, she lives now over to Sherburn, in about the handsomest house in Sherburn, a high white house with green blinds and white pillars in front, and she rides out in her own carriage, and Mr. Elderkin, he's a deacon in the church, and a colonel in the militia, and a slick man, and pretty much top everything there is going in Sherburn, and it all come of that our picture. What picture? we shouted in chorus. Lordy massy, that is just what I'm going to tell you about. But you see, a fella's just got to make a beginning to all things. Miss Elderkin, she thinks she's a great lady nowadays, I suppose. But I remember when she was Mary Brown, over here in Old Town, and I used to be waiting on her to sing in school. Mary and I was pretty good friends along in them days. We was pretty considerable and kind of intimate. Fact is, boys, there was times in them days when I thought whether or no I wouldn't take Mary myself, said Sam, his face growing luminous with the pleasing idea of his former masculine attractions and privileges. Yes, he continued, there was a time when folks said I could have had Mary if I'd asked her. But I pretty much think so myself, but I didn't say nothing. Marriage is Alice kind of venturesome, and Mary had such up and down kind of ways. I was sort of afraid on it. But lordy massy, boys, you must never tell Hepsy I said so. "'cause she'd be mad enough to bite a shingle-nail in two. "'Not that she said so very great by me neither, "'but them women's backs is alice up "'if they think anybody else could have had you, "'whether they want you themselves or not. "'You see, Mary, she was old black horse John Brown's data, "'and lived up there in that uh, big brown house, "'by the meeting house.' 
that has the red hollyhock in the front yard. Mary was about the handsomest gal that went into the singer's seat a Sunday. I tell you, she wasn't none of your milk and sugar gals neither. She was amazing strong built. She was the strongest gal in her arms that I ever see. Why, I've seen Mary take up a barrel of flour and lift it right into the kitchen, and it would just make the pink come into her cheeks like two roses. But she never seemed to mind it a grain. She had a good, strong bag of her own, and she was straight as a poplar, with snapping black eyes. And I tell you, there was a snap to her tongue, too. Nobody never got ahead of Mary. She give every fellow as good as he sent. But for all that, she was a great favorite. Mary was one of your briary, scratchy gals that seems to catch fellas in thorns. She allus fit and flouted her bow, and the more she fit and flouted them, the more they'd be at her. There wasn't a gal in all old town that led such a string of fellas out of her. Cause you see, she'd now and then throw em a good word over her shoulder, and then they'd all fight who should get it, and she'd just laugh to see him do it. Why, there was Tom Sawin, he was one of her bowls, and Jim Moss, and Ike Bacon, and there was a Boston boy, Tom Beacon. He came up from Cambridge to rusticate with Parson Lothrop. He thought he must have his say with Mary, but he got pretty well come up with, you see, he thought, cause he was Boston-born, that he was kind of aristocracy, and had a right just to pick and choose among country gals, but the way he got come up with by Mary was too funny for anything. Do tell us about it, he said, as Sam made an artful pause, designed to draw forth solicitation. Well, you see, Tom Beacon, he told Ike Bacon about it, and Ike, he told me. "'Twas this way. You see, there was a quiltin' up to Miss Captain Broad's, and Tom Beacon, he was there, and come to goin' home with the gals. Tom, he cut Ike out, and got Mary all to himself, and twas a pretty long piece of a walk from Miss Captain Broad's up past the swamp and the stone pasture, clear up to old Black Horse John's. Well, Tom, he was in high feather, cause Mary took him, so that he didn't really know how to behave. And so, as they was walking along past Parson Lothrop's apple orchard, Tom thought he'd try being familiar, and he undertook to put his arm round Mary. Well, if she didn't just take that little fella by his two shoulders and whirl him over the fence into the orchard quicker in no time. Why, says Tom, the first I knew I was lying on my back under the apple trees looking up at the stars. Mary, she just walked off home and said nothing to nobody. It wasn't her way to talk much about things, and 
If it hadn't been for Tom Beacon himself, nobody need have known nothing about it. Tom was a little fella, you see, amazing good-natured, and one of the sort that couldn't keep nothing to himself. And so he let the cat out of the bag himself. Well, there didn't nobody think the worst of Mary. When fellas find a gal won't take size from no man, they kind of respect her. And them fellas, Alice thinks, if it had been them, now things that have been different. That's just what Jim Moss and Ike Bacon said. They said, why, Tom Beacon was a fool, not to know better how to get along with Mary. They never had no trouble. The fun of it was that Tom Beacon himself was more crazy after her than he was a fall. And they say he made Mary a right up and down offer. And Mary, she just wouldn't have him. Well, you see, that went again old Black Horse John's ideas. Old Black Horse was about as close as a nut and as contrary as a pipperhead tree. Y'all have seen him. Why, his face was all a perfect crisscross of wrinkles. There wasn't a spot where you could put a pin down that there wasn't a wrinkle. And they used to say that he held on to every cent that went through his fingers till he'd pinched it into two. You couldn't say that his god was his belly, for he hadn't none. No more than an old file. And folks said that he'd starved himself till the moon had shined through him. The old black horse was awfully grouty about Mary's refusing Tom Beacon, cause there was his houses and lots of land in Boston. A dreadful, worldly old critter, black horse John was. He was like the rich fool in the gospel. Well, he's dead and gone now, poor critter. And what good has it all done him? It's as the scripture says, He heapeth up riches, and knoweth not who shall gather them. Mary had a pretty hard roll to hold with old Black Horse John. She was up early and down late, and kept everything a-going. She made the cheese and made the butter, and between spells, she braided herself handsome straw bunnets and fixed up her clothes, and somehow she worked it so when she sold her butter and cheese that there was something for ribbons and flowers. You know, the scripture says, can a maid forget her ornaments? Well, Meriden, I remember, I used to lead the singing in them days, and Mary, she used to sing counter. So we sat put in here together in the singer's seats. But I used to think Sunday mornings when she come to meetin' in her white dress and her red cheeks and her bonnet all tipped off with laycock that twas for all the world just like sunshine to have her come in to the singer's seats. Them was the days that I didn't improve my privileges, boys, said Sam, sighing deeply. There was times that, if I'd have spoke, there's no knowing what might have happened. Cause, see, boys, I was better looking in them days than I be now. 
Now you mind, boys, when you grow up, if you get to waiting on a nice gal, and you're most a mind to speak up to her, don't you go and put it off, cause if you do, you may live to repent it. Well, you see, from the time that Bill Elderkin come and took the academy, I could see plain enough that it was time for me to hang up my fiddle. Bill, he used to sit in the singer's seats, too, and he would have it that he sung tenor. He no more sung tenor than a skunk blackbird, but he made believe he did, just to get next to Mary in the singer's seats. They used to sit there in the seats of writing, backward and forward to each other till they tore out all the leaves of the hymn books and the singing books besides. Well, I never thought that the house of the Lord was just the place to be caught in then, and I used to get considerable shocked at the way things went on between them. Why, they'd be a writing all sermon time, and I've seen him a-looking at her all through the long prayer in a way that one right, considering they was both professors of religion. But then the fact was, old Black Horse John was to blame for it, because he never let him have no chance to him. You see, old Black Horse, he was sort of gin Elderkin, because he was poor. You see, his mother, the old widow Elderkin, she was just about the poorest, peakedest old body over the Sherburn, and went out to day's works. And Bill Elderkin, he was all for books and lining. And old Black Horse John, he thought it was just shiftlessness. But Mary, she thought he was a genius, and she got it sought in her mind that he was going to be president of the United States, or some such. Well, my old black horse, he wasn't none too polite to Mary's bow in general, but when Elderkin used to come to see her, he was snarlier than a saw. He hadn't a good word for him, no ways, and he'd rake up the fire right before his face and eyes and rattle about fastening up the windows and tramp up to bed and called down the chamber stairs to Mary to go to bed and was sort of aggravating every way. Well, if folks wants to get a gal set on having a man, that is the way to go to work. Mary had a considerable stiff will of her own, and if she didn't care about Tom Beacon before, she hated him now, and if she liked Bill Elderkin before, she was clean gone over to him now. And so she took to going to the Wednesday evening lecture and the Friday evening prayer meeting and the singing school just as regular as a clock. And so did he. And out of words, the Islas walked home the longest way. My father's may just as well let their gals be courted in the house, peaceable, cause if they can't be courted there, they'll find places where they can be. It's just human nature. Well, 
come fall, Alkin, he went to college up to Brunswick, and then I used to see the letters as regular up to the stall every week coming in from Brunswick. An old black horse John, he see him too, and got away a dropping on him in his coat pocket when he come up to the stall. And folks used to say that the letters that went into his coat pocket didn't get to Mary. Anyhow, Mary, she says to me one day, says she, Sam, you're up round the post office a good deal, says she. I wish, if you see any letters for me, you just bring them along. I see right in of it, and I told her to be sure I would. And so I used to have the carrying of great thick letters every week. Well, I was waiting on Hepsy along about them times, and so Mary and I kind of sympathized. Hepsy was a pretty gal, and I thought it was all best as it was. Anyway, I knew I couldn't get Mary, and I could get Hepsy, and that made all the difference in the world. Well, that next winter, old Black Horse was took down with rheumatism. But I tell you, if Mary didn't have a time on it, he wasn't no ways sweet-tempered when he was well, but come to be crooked up with the rheumatists and kept awake nights, seemed as if he was determined there shouldn't nobody have no peace so long as he couldn't. He'd get Mary up and down with him night after night, and making her heat flannels and vinegar, and then he'd jaw and scold so that she was any most beat out. He wouldn't have nobody set up with him, though there was offers made. No, he said Mary was his daughter, and twas her business to take care on him. Mary was clear worked down. Folks kind of pitied her. She was a strong gal, but there's things that wears out the strongest. The worst on it was, it hung on so. Old Black Hoss had a most amazing sight of constitution. He'd go all down to death's door and seem hardly to have the breath of life in him, and then up he'd come again. These here old folks that nobody wants to have live, Alice had such a sight of wearing them. They just last and last. And it really did seem as if he'd wear Mary out and get her into the grave first, for she got a cough with being up so much in the cold, and grew thin as a shatter. Remember one time I went up there to offer the watch, just in the spring of the year, when the laycocks was just a budding out. Mary, she come and talked with me over the fence, and the poor gal, she fairly broke down, and sobbed as if her heart would break but telling me her trouble. Well, it really affected me more to have Mary give up so than most gals, cause she'd Alice held her head up and had such a sight of grit and resolution, but she told me all about it. It seems, old black horse, he wasn't content with worrying on her and getting on her up nights, 
but he kept a hectoring her about Bill Elderkin, and wanting on her to promise that she wouldn't have Bill when he was dead and gone. Now, Mary, she wouldn't promise. And then the old man said she shouldn't have a cent from him if she didn't. And so they had it back and forth. Everybody in town was saying what a shame t'was that he should serve her soul. For though he had other children, they was married and gone. And there were none of them to do for him but just Mary. Well... He hung on till just as the pineys in the front yard was beginning to blow out, and then he began to feel he was a-going, and he sent the parson Lothrop to know what was to be done about his soul. Well, says parson Lothrop, you must settle up all your worldly affairs. You must be in peace and love with all mankind, and if you wronged anybody, you must make it good to him. Old Black Horse, he bounced right over in his bed with his back to the minister. The devil, says he, twill take all I've got. And he never spoke another word. Though Parson Lothrop, he prayed with him and did what he could for him. Well, that night, I sat up with him, and he went off, between two and three in the morning, and I laid him out regular. Now, of all the racks of bone I ever see, I never see a human critter so poor as he was. Twine nothing but his awful will kept his soul in his body so long as it was. We had the funeral in the meeting house a Sunday, and Parson Lothrop, he preached a sermon on contentment on the text. We brought nothing into the world, and at sudden we can carry nothing out. And having food and raiment, let us be therewith content. Parson Lothrop, he got round the subject about as handsome as he could. He didn't say what a skinflint old black horse was, but he talked in a general way about the vanity of worrying and scraping to heap up riches. You see, Parson Lothrop, he could say it all pretty easy, too, cause since he married a rich wife, he never had no occasion to worry about temporal matters. Folks allers preaches better on the vanity of riches when they's intolerable easy circumstances. You see, when folks is pestered and worried to pay their bills and don't know where the next dollar's to come from, it's a great temptation to be kind of valuing riches and maybe envying those that's got em. Whereas, when one's accounts all pays themselves and the money comes just when it's wanted regular, a body feels sort of composed-like, unable to take the right view of things like Parson Lothrop. Well, out of sermon, the relations all went over to the old house to hear the will read, and, as I was kind of friend with the family, I just slipped in along with the rest. Squire Jones, he had the will, 
And so when they all got sought round all solemn, he broke the seals and unfolded it, crackling it a good while afore he begun. And it was so still you might have heard a pin drop when he begun to read. First, there was the farm and stock. He left to his son, John Brown, over in Sherburne. Then there was the household stuff and all them things, and spoons and dishes and beds and equivalents, and so on, to his data, Polly Blanchard. And then, last of all, he says, he left to his data, Mary, the picture that was on the top of the shelf in his bedroom closet. That air was an old cracked picture that Mary Alice had hated the sight of, and spring and fall she used to beg her father to let her throw it away. But no, he wouldn't let her touch it, and so it stood gathering dust. Some on em run and handed it down, and it seemed just full of scouring sand and nothing else and they handed it to Mary. Well, Mary, she was wrathy then. She didn't so much mind being left out in the world because she expected that. But to have that old picture poked at her so sort of scornful was more than she could bear. She took it and gin it a throw across the room with all her might, and it hit again the wall and broke into a thousand bits, when out rolled hundreds of gold pieces. Great gold eagles and guineas flew round the kitchen, just as thick as dandelions in a meadow. I tell you, she scrabbled them up pretty quick, and we all helped her. Come to count them over, Mary had the best fortune of the whole as twas right and proper she should. Mary, she was a sensible gal, and she invested her money well. And so, when Bill Elderkin got through his law studies, he found a wife that could make a nice beginning with him. And that's the way, you see, they came to be doing as well as they be. So, boys, you just mind and remember, and I'll see what there is in a providence afore you quarrel with it, because there's a good many things in this world turns out like Miss Elderkin's picture. End of Miss Elderkin's picture. Read by Alan Lord.